for me, that's been the most important thing is I never wanted to have a social media channel to like grow a following. I wanted to have a social media channel to make a change. And I think I've been able to do that so, so far. And I hope to continue doing that. Last month, MMNM published a list of TikTok's top 10 doctor influencers. The list included everyone from an oncologist who comments on the intersection of COVID-19 and cancer to GPs offering tips on smoking cessation, exercise, and getting into medical school. Some have also created TikToks that highlight issues of racism in medicine. My guest this week is Joel Burvell. He's a third-year med student at Washington State University and TikToker who, as a member of the Black community, is passionate about diversifying the field of medicine and has dedicated his page to that purpose. His videos unpacking the biases that impact medicine prompted TikTok to name Joel the 2021 Voice of Change. That got him a segment on Good Morning America. He was also named one of TikTok's top 10 changemakers for the year. All of that and more coming up. Joel, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me here. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, this was a long time uh, coming, so appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> I know you had a busy end of uh, 2021. It was a really busy year for you. It's been a crazy year, but in the best way possible. Yeah, I see. Uh, you know, you, you had the uh, the accolades uh, from TikTok. You also um, were selected to receive a $50,000 grant from Macro uh, and TikTok to create your dream project, which we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later. Yes. Uh, but just uh, thought to start out, you know, tell us how you first got into using TikTok. Yeah, I, I love this question because I think it was very um, serendipitous how this came about. I started using TikTok for the same reason many other people started in the pandemic for kind of an escape uh, into um, to, to entertainment, to figure out a different world, to connect with people when we were all at home <laughs> doing things uh, kind of alone. And my first video that I ever created was actually a video of me transforming into Dr. Burke from Grey's Anatomy. And it was using one of the many trends that are on TikTok. And I remember that video ended up doing like decently. I think I got like 15,000 likes and had never used TikTok before that. And so I was kind of like, whoa, this is cool to be able to like, connect with people in this weird way. But over time, as I started to kind of find my voice on the platform, I realized that I wanted to do something a little bit more. And so that's when I started talking more about disparities that exist in the healthcare field. Mm -hmm. So it was for the memes at first, uh, and then eventually for the education as well. And you eventually mm -hmm. um, transitioned to doing videos about race uh, and medicine. How did COVID kind of play a role in, in shaping your content? COVID was a huge, huge, huge in impactor on just how I thought about the content I wanted to create. I remember it was during my second year of medical school at this point. Actually, it might have been my first year of medical school. It's stretching all the way back. And I was at home, um, kind of a lot of time to yourself, right? When it was COVID, we had just gone to isolation. And I was hearing a lot about what was happening in the United States in, related, in relationship to Black Americans. I was hearing about George Floyd and Ahmed Aubrey, who at the time was the same age as me when Ahmed Aubrey was unfortunately killed. Um, I, I remember after that, I couldn't even go running. And I, one of my favorite things to do my pastime is to go running. But I kept looking over my shoulder, scared. Because um, the community that I live in is mostly white as well. And I wondered, could someone be thinking the same thing about me? Who is this black man running through my neighborhood? I was thinking about the George Floyd protests that were going on at the same time. And I think being a medical student um, and being a black medical student, where less than 5% of all physicians in the United States are African-American, I was thinking a lot about my role in this conversation and the role I could play as someone who is, uh, in, in a way I put it, a unicorn in medicine. At my medical school, I was actually 
the first medical student to be accepted, the first black medical student to be accepted. And for me, that held a weight to make sure that I opened the doors for people that came afterwards. So all these types of things were kind of swirling through my head as I was going through the COVID pandemic. And then you have, of course, COVID, which is saying, which on the news, you kept hearing things like black and brown communities are more likely to get COVID. Um, and for me, I was wondering, why is that? Eventually more reasoning came out and it was like, oh, because many people that are underrepresented are in first line jobs, exposed more to COVID. But at first it sounded like there's something more related to biology. And I knew that wasn't true as a medical student. And so I really started to do a deep dive into just different associations and kind of comments like this that can lead to disparities in healthcare and why disparities in healthcare exist. In medical school, we don't often get a lot of that uh, education, especially when it comes to more uh, minute or undercover areas. So I was on Instagram one day and one of my friends had posted a story, just a screenshot of an article um, about pulse oximeters, which is these devices that go in your finger and measure your blood oxygen saturation level. And I remember seeing that and it said that black patients have a higher likelihood of it misreading on their skin. And I never learned about this. We had just finished up our pulmonology unit, but I'd never heard anything talked about. We'd learned about pulse oximeters. We learned about spirometry. We'd never talked about how there's a disparity in there. I began to wonder where are the other places in medicine where these disparities exist, but we're just not talking about it. And so that was the first video I made on my TikTok channel that was more not kind of the memes content, but more of a serious content that could actually talk to people about disparities that exist. And I posted the video about the pulse oximeter, explained it in 30 seconds, and the amount of comments I was getting from physicians and nurses and medical students and PA students was incredible. People saying, I've never heard of this before. How can this exist? And like, I'd never learned about it. And then also simultaneously, patients who had been using pulse oximeters saying things like, you know, I've had shortness of breath. I've gone to the hospital. It's red normal. And someone's told me, hey, your oxygen saturation is normal. And so you're not having any shortness of breath. And patients were saying, I feel seen knowing that this data is out there and knowing that maybe that was the reason why I didn't read on me, that I'm someone who it was overestimating and actually had shortness of breath, but it wasn't picking up on him. So after seeing those, that kind of feedback and how people were saying, I hadn't gotten this information. I said, you know, why don't I make a series out of this um, called Racial Biases in Medicine and dive into different ways that even though the medical system is moving forward, that we're still complicit in keeping, um, in keeping kind of disparities alive or things that are overlooked. And that's what I've dedicated my page to. And it's been extremely fascinating finding the ways and the ties between what I'm learning right now and the ways that medical students still needs to improve. Has your video led to change specifically with the sort of interpretation of pulse, pulse oximetry readings? Absolutely. Yeah. So after I posted that video, um, I was lucky enough to be invited to the FDA to speak on kind of a young, a young graduate um, panel. And while I was there, I talked about this exact story. And a few weeks later, and I don't know if it's related to it or not, or if it was just kind of more attention was getting there as well. But a few weeks later, the FDA on their website updated their website for, for the pulse oximeters and at least added a warning saying that in black and brown skin or darker skin tones, know that it can actually overestimate um, your oxygen saturation. And so that was actually really cool to see that kind of a few months after the video came out, and I, I know someone at the FDA at least saw it, <laughs> my video, uh, that there was actually this change. I think that goes to a lot of what is happening in medicine right now in medical activism. It's more grassroots, putting more education on to patients as well, and people that are consuming healthcare, um, and more activism from physicians saying, hey, this is something that we need to change, and then trying to get larger systems to change. Um, and there's other ways that's happened as well, which has been really fascinating. That's quite a shift from the way 
progress typically happens in medicine, right? Where it, it usually is published in a medical journal, which in and of itself takes time, takes time for people in the community to read those studies, right? This mm-hmm. seems like a potentially a lot faster way for information to get out there and for uh, guidelines to change. Absolutely. Uh, and I think what's happening is that the research that's out there already is now being brought more to the forefront. So in the example of the pulse oximeters, data had been out for decades. <laughs> this was not new. In the 1990s, there was literally studies that show that there's disparities in darker skin um, and lighter skin in terms of how pulse oximeters read. The problem was no one had actually taken the next step of saying, let's actually put a warning out there or let's go out and fix this, you know? Um, And so I think that's been uh, a big interest of mine is there's stories out there that exist already. There's a research out there. It's just, is it getting enough attention and are people picking up on it? And when it comes to pulse oximeters too, it's not like all devices read, uh, kind of have that difference in reading it depends on the device and so that's the other thing like some some device companies might be incentivized to actually make a change some may not and so i i think it, when it comes down to that it's understanding that the research is often out there it's just are there stories being told and i see my job now like on tiktok of as breaking down the barriers that exist between that research that's out there and getting it to consumers who often can't get past that paywall mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sure the, the paywall that many uh, mainstream journals uh, have on their sites. Talking about the fact that you have devoted your uh, page to uh, uncovering racial biases in medicine, um, and your videos, by the way, have garnered a combined 10.8 million likes. What is it that you want your nearly 398,000 followers to know about this topic? For me, it's that the topic exists. I think oftentimes I hear people say, hey, systemic racism doesn't exist or like there's no institutional racism. But I think in medicine, unfortunately, it's a prime example of how it can exist still. And not necessarily based on individual prejudice or individual racism, built on things that were built into a system and have persisted despite research that says otherwise. And one big example of of that is um, looking at the glomerular filtration rate. Glomerular filtration rate is essentially how well our kidneys are working. It's the measurement that we use for decades now, um, hospital systems have used race multiplier on top of that. Meaning that for black patients, you add a multiplier, I think it's of about 1.3 onto a black patient. So that means take two people, someone that's white and someone that's black, all other things being held equal. In the white person, their kidney functioning will show worse than in the black individual because of this equation. Now, what that does down the line is it means it could potentially make it more difficult for black patients to get care like a kidney transplant because you have to show worse kidney functioning than someone that is non-black and that's a very important point that it's only black and non-black not black equation or white equation that asian equation it's always black or non-black which doesn't quite make sense so in the past i guess i'd say two years in particular there's been a ramp up of activism but once again people have been doing this work way long before the Kidney Foundation just last year in 2021 announced that they wanted to remove race now from the GFR equation. And I think once again, that's in part because of medical trainees and medical students and activism from people that are still going through training and activism as well from people that are in residency and physicians saying, why have we done it like this for so long? It doesn't make sense, especially when we know that race is a social construct. Um, And so I think that's really fascinating to see the GFR equation because I think that's somewhere where change has happened once again, through these grassroots measures of getting people to understand and then reaching out to policy centers that can actually change it. But now the next step is for hospitals to adopt that and to now take off race from the the equation. The recommendation has been given 
now, and now it actually is on hospitals and um, systems, uh, medical record systems to actually remove that, that kind of racial difference. Was, was that the GFR equation or um, you know, disparity? Was that something that you also uh, highlighted in your videos? Yep, that was one of my earliest videos that I did. So I think I made a video on that very early on before the Kidney Foundation actually made their change. And I had been working with many, actually the institution called the Institute of Healing and Justice to make sure that uh, policy letters were sent out to the Kidney Foundation and we were able to reach out to the right doctors. Um, and so a lot of the work I do on TikTok is kind of just the information piece of it. But I am trying to be as much involved in kind of that grassroots activism as well, working with other students, physicians and providers. Mm -hmm. How does it feel that, you know, when as a creator to know that your videos are really making such a, an impact? I can't, I wish I could describe it, but it's undescribable to me, honestly. It's, it feels weird <laughs> to have a platform in the first place because I started this in COVID. I didn't have anyone around me. I had my roommates and my roommates would be like, hey, we can hear you talking. Can you quiet down? <laughs> you know, as I'm like practicing my script for what I want to say. And so then on the other hand, to see all these people saying, wow, I've never learned, I've never known this before. I'm learning information from you has been a radical shift for me to actually see that my content is helping people and is actually making a difference, not just on kind of individual levels, but on systematic levels too, um, levels that can actually move levers and change policies. I, I think for me, that's been the most important thing is I never wanted to have a social media channel to like grow a following. I wanted to have a social media cha channel to make a change. And I think I've been able to do that so, so far, and I hope to continue doing that. Mm -hmm. you know, the, the pandemic, as you said, has really led to a surge in research, you know, long needed one on the association of race and ethnicity on medical care. How would you characterize the conversation about race and medicine these days? Where are we in that much needed evolution? Yeah, I think people are definitely having a more nuanced understanding of how we should think about race and ethnicity. Um, I think especially in the medical field, we, we know that race is kind of a shotgun effect. What you see on the surface doesn't necessarily reflect what going on underneath, right? Um, and I think people are understanding that more. What we're getting to now is how do we actually begin to address that? <laughs> and how do we go back to the systems that have used this specific method for so long and start to dismantle and unroot the things that make sense and the things that don't make sense? And it's difficult uh, because this is how we've practiced medicine for a long time. Um, and sometimes I give talks about kind of where these even began from. And when I give those talks, I have to really stretch back to the first founders of the people who created the idea of race. Because many of those same stereotypes that were built when the idea of race and how race should in interact with the social political landscape still persist today, the same stereotypes. And it's always so fascinating to trace that line to see many of the beliefs we believe. In 2017, there was a study from Vanderbilt uh, that showed that many medical residents believe false biological beliefs about black patients, ranging from that they have thicker skin or that they don't have the same nerve endings. And these beliefs are literally built out of slavery era when people that were black, unfortunately, were seen as not human or uh, all these things were used to ju justify why black people should be slaves. And while we don't like to think about it, many of those same beliefs have permeated through medical literature and into the way that we see patients. And so then having to work backwards to actually, like I said, go into the systems and say, what is what are we going to keep? What are we going to cut out? Because it doesn't make sense. Sure. Let's talk about your creative process a bit. How many hours a day would you say you spend uh, creating your videos? <laughs> uh, really depends on how I'm feeling. <laughs> I, I treat TikTok as an extension of my brain in a way. And if I see something fascinating that I want to kind of share with the world, I'll create a video about it. I'd say this month in particular for Black History Month has been a little bit 
higher of a, a time commitment because I'm doing a series right now where every day I'm highlighting a different person from history. So I'd say maybe like an hour or two, I usually try and get up before clinic, make the video, um, go to clinic, not, not think about it, and then post it sometime throughout the day. But yeah, I try not to spend too much time in a typical week, I'd say maybe one to two hours in the week. I see you're thinking like an editor, you know, with your series. Um, (laughs) (laughs) As you gain more clinical experience, how would you say your videos are changing? As I've gained more clinical experience, I've love talk about talking about the things I've seen and how that relates to patients. Um, and I try to use, like I said, my TikTok is an extension of myself. So if there's something I'll see in clinic, then I'm like, hey, this is a great topic to kind of talk about on just like a larger level. Let's see if other people relate to it. Um, that's what I'll kind of do. So just an example of that. I was in clinic and I had a patient come in and they were talking about how when their daughter had been born, she had these birthmarks that looked like bruises and how once she took her daughter to go to a pediatrician for a follow-up visit and that the pediatrician thought that her daughter, because she had darker skin and she'd never seen these kind of birthmarks before, was being abused at home. Instead of asking the mother, she called CPS. So I ended up creating a video on that um, because I'd heard it directly from this patient about what's called congenital nevi, which are normal in babies and they go away over time and how many people that have darker skin have CPS called on them, Child Protective Services, because they don't realize they're actually birthmarks and not bruises because they can, can look like bruises. When I posted that video of just kind of an observation I'd made from a patient, so many people reached, were commenting saying, this happened to me when my child was born. And it's actually, and they cited it as a reason why they distrust the medical system. So I think wow. things like that, where I probably wouldn't have ever, that's, I wouldn't have seen a research paper about that, but it was an anecdote that I thought was so important to share about disparities still. And so many people had started saying, I have a similar experience. Mm-hmm. Sure. What's the reaction among colleagues, you know, when you take out your phone during a rotation and, you know, how do the attendings feel about it? <laughs> well, I tried not to take out my phone during <laughs> the rotation. I, I usually I'm actually my phone's away and I'm not on TikTok. I'm not on anything. I don't like to create when I'm, unless it's maybe showing a day in the life, but typically I don't create when I'm at the clinic. But in terms of the conversations I've had, it's been really receptive. I it's it's weird to be in this spot where I'm a student still and I'm learning from my attendings. I'm working with them. I'm a people, right? I'm I'm really trying to learn all I can. But then there's things that I know when it comes to this kind of stuff that they know that they don't. And so I've had some incredible conversations with my physicians about the things I'm doing. A lot of them follow me actually on TikTok and on Instagram, and we'll talk about a video the next day. Uh, my series right now, like th- my, pre- my preceptor is actually sending me more ideas about people. They're like, oh, this is awesome. Have you seen this person make a video about this? And so it's been really collaborative. Um, and I've been very, very, very lucky to have some incredible mentors and um, preceptors that I work with right now who have wanted me to kind of grow and talk about these issues because it's something that hasn't been talked about for a long time. You know, it strikes me in listening to you speak uh, that when viewed in the context of how medicine has tried to confront, you know, racism, um, oftentimes a top-down approach has been met with resistance, but mm-hmm. perhaps this grassroots effort that you're, that you're driving, that you're a part of is, is somehow breaking through. Is that a good I- observation? Yeah, I think that's a great observation. And it's it's also how I approach my whole platform, not as a pejorative, this needs to change, but as a, hey, this is what I'm learning along the way as I'm going through training. And I think as people are learning alongside with me, um, I, I think this is like 
TikTok is kind of my extended family at this point. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be cool when I graduate and I've had all these people with me along the entire journey, like cheering me on and encouraging me um, because really that's what it's about. It's like the grassroots learning together. And as we learn together, the things I'm learning, I think people are starting to see why physicians are thinking this way, why this needs to change um, and how we can actually lead that way. So the grassroots approach is so effective because people learn alongside with you and you coalition build. You make people want to actually make a difference um, down the line. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, in 2020, Dr. Rosemary Leslie, the University of Minnesota Chief Family Medicine resident, was named the year's most impactful content creator on TikTok. And we actually featured her a year ago on this podcast. Um, and of course, you were named the most impactful creator this past year. But, uh, you know, do you think that the novelty of doctors on TikTok is kind of wearing off a little bit? Um, obviously, they, you know, it's still um, appreciated. But, you know, how do you think the perception is, is changing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think it was so important for Dr. Rose Leslie to be selected, especially during 2020 when COVID was at the height. And I think I think that's the big difference now between um, at that time and now is, well, COVID is still raging, still a pandemic. Um, and I, I think people were a lot more receptive to COVID information, but now we kind of have COVID fatigue in terms of talking about this information. So I think the way that doctors are approaching and the people that are now, the doctors that are now being kind of highlighted are a little bit different in that they're talking about different issues in the field of medicine, whether that's reproductive justice, whether that's making sure that we get equal anatomy um, in kind of schools and like uh, in female anatomy and male anatomy, or sometimes it's doctors just kind of having fun, right? And I, some of my favorite doctors are those that make funny skits. Uh, there, there's a group, uh, two twin doctors on the app, really awesome. And they react to funny videos from patients. For example, there's a video of someone saying, oh, my doctor told me to lower my sugar. And instead of like taking less sugar and eating less sugar, they take the sugar from their top shelf and move it down a lower shelf. So funny videos like that. And I think that's trying to kind of add that humor back in as well. But I, I, I think doctors are still impactful, but just in a different way, trying to bring that human side of doctors and also addressing the disparities that exist still um, inside the field. So everyone's kind of trying to find their new novel niche. Um, but I think doctors are still just as impactful as before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice to see physicians uh, having a, a kind of creative outlet, considering, mm-hmm. you know, the level of, uh, of stress uh, and grief that, that, that the community as a whole has dealt with the last couple of years. You know, you did a TikTok recently on the challenge of creating, being a full-time med student and making time for yourself. How do you balance it all? Yeah, I will say it is, it is hard, <laughs> um, especially now as I, I feel like my time has been split even more in terms of I, I'll give speaking engagements. And I think in the last month, I've probably given four to five speaking engagements at different hospitals, both in the United States and outside of the United States. Um, and then I'm a full-time medical student. So I'm in the hospital eight to five most days. <laughs> um, and especially when I'm on a surgery rotation that I'm in the hospital from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And it can be kind of crazy. But the way I think about it is I, A, I use this as an extension myself. So it's kind of a, an opportunity for me to learn and grow from the learning I'm already doing. Um, I don't have notifications on, so I actually try and stay off of TikTok and Instagram as much as possible if I'm not creating videos. And then I try and just take time for myself to carve out an hour or two if I need to go for a run or hang out with friends. I have some amazing roommates who really keep me grounded, remind me of the things that are important in life. Um, And they've, they've really helped me kind of balance this all and make it through. Sure. It's very important to have a, a strong social fabric. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, as you mentioned, you know, you have your, your Black History Month series. 
uh, where you've been posting on some of the many black legends of medicine. Mm-hmm. I was wanted would love to get your response to this. You know, if we had TikTok in the 20th century, what stereotypes do you think some of these legends like Vivian Thomas or Do- Dr. Patricia Bath mm-hmm. uh, would would highlight on on their pages? Yeah. I think they would highlight their struggles of how they got through, but also the fact that they made it through. Um, As you mentioned, uh, Vivian Thomas, who absolutely incredible, had no college education, no medical education, but by many cardiac surgeons is thought of as one of the best surgeons of the 20th century, which is so fascinating to think about someone who never went to medical school. But I think he would talk about the struggles he that that he had to go through in terms of getting into uh, and kind of being respected in a space like that. But also once he got there, how he was able to do that how he was able to share those experiences. I think TikTok has this unique ability to break the barriers that we see, to break through um, kind of that third wall of putting up a perfect front. And many people use the app to share their struggles, to talk about their everyday life. And I think it'd be, I mean, that, that's actually a cool thought for like a series of like, what would these people have said, you know, like literally acting out as if you're them and sharing that story. Um, and then similarly, Dr. Patricia Bath, who's talked about the struggle she had to go through as a woman who, even though she was a doctor, she was the first ophthalmologist um, resident in the United States. And when she was at UCLA Eye Institute, um, instead of putting her, the, her in her own office, like the other doctors, she was put with the secretaries because she was a woman. And I think stories like that, she would have shared and talked about. And you can only imagine the response you get on TikTok today. But I think it would have been so cool for them to be able to share those experiences, to have other people say, hey, despite these barriers that are blocking me from getting there, I can actually achieve it too if these people do. Maybe an idea for a new series there. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> you also, uh, on your on your page, comment on how healthcare brands are doing a better job of representing all aspects of health. Who do you think is doing it well? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, I, I will say recently, I did a video with Neutrogena, and they're sponsoring um, uh, an app, uh, an online website called Hutano. It's one of my uh, one of my friends, Malone McQuende, is actually helping to start that. Malone is a medical student in the UK, and he created a book called Mind the Gap a few years back. Um, that was one of the first to actually show disparities in black and brown skin, specifically dermatology problems on black and brown skin. And he got a lot of attention from it. Um, he was on Good Morning America last year in June 2021. He was interviewed by Angelina Jolie for Time Magazine. And this year he's creating an app at Hutano, uh, which is going to be a space for people to be able to, people of color to be able to come on and talk about their skin conditions and get resources that they need. Um, but Neutrogena is sponsoring that. I, th- I thought that was really incredible that he was because I've known him and kind of seeing him do, go through his journey as well of being kind of in a similar space, medical students working on disparity. It's been awesome to see him get a big brand put actually funding and uh, money behind him. And people like Kerry Washington have also joined on board and helped out as well. So um, I think brands like that, that are recognizing that health is an issue uh, and how can we step in and actually begin to, to think about health in a way that's holistic and does people that use our product in a way good. So that's one that comes to mind immediately. I have to keep thinking a little bit. <laughs> sure. Any comment on brands that you feel could be doing a better job? I, I think all brands can be doing a better job, <laughs> especially when it comes to, I, I don't, I'm not going to name job, but I think it's just in, in general, when it comes to anything that's affecting people's health, whether that's food, whether that's um, medicine, whether it's even connecting you to providers, I think all brands and um, different institutions should look at how are the things that we're doing impacting health right now? And what are the ways that we can insert ourselves and understand 
the disparities that exist in healthcare. Um, I think it has to be done intentionally, right? It, it can't be something that's done just because, just because it's kind of the trend at the time, but really getting people within the organization who feel the struggle and feel as if they their voices um, need to be heard and raised to the table so they can talk about these disparities and connect it with the things that are going on in a, in a broader narrative. So I think all companies can do it, be doing a better job. And I think about medical schools and medical institutions a lot about that. And I think there's been a push for more um, disparities research, but I think it really has to be done in an in, in intentional way to make sure that the research is done actually does lead to changes. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not sure how much uh, contact uh, you have with the pharmaceutical industry, but you know we're a marketing publication uh, whose read, uh, whose readership um, consists um, heavily of, of people in that industry. So, just curious how you feel uh, the industry is doing in its relationship with uh, the medical community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's some pharmaceutical institutions that are thinking about this a lot. So, one thing I think about a lot is that there's not much diversity in most clinical trials. And I think a lot of pharmaceutical companies are now stepping up and saying, hey, let's add more diversity because while race is a social construct, I always like to preface that there are differences in how it presents because um, kind of how race has looked at, been looked at sociopolitically. For example, people that are in districts that were traditionally redlined are more likely to have increases in lung cancer. And so that can lead you down a different pharmaceutical pathway when you're thinking about it than someone else. And so I, I think these industries are realizing, hey, let's get, let's make sure we get diversity. Let's make sure we reach out. But you also have to then reckon that with the history of pharmaceutical companies and different institutions that have done things that have made it hard for Black communities to trust these institutions, right? And so I think it's it's a recognition of the past, but it's also a recognition of how you are you going to go forward and make these changes. And it has to both be done because if you only move forward without addressing the past, it looks like it looks like something that's only being done in order to kind of play into what the current trends are. And I think many well-intentioned people would then be looked at as not as well-intentioned. So yeah, that's that's what I'd say. It has to be done in very, very, very like um, intentionally with a look both to the future and to the past and how the things that have led in the past to get us here at this point can be rem- re- rectified. Sure, that makes 100% sense. Uh, you know, one last question, I'll let you go, Joel. Uh, you were selected to receive uh, this $50,000 grant from Macro and TikTok to create your dream project, uh, which you say is coming soon in 2022. Mm-hmm. Can you comment uh, for our listeners on uh, what your plans might be for using that grant? Absolutely. So my plans are twofold. One, I'm hoping to have a podcast. So this is a perfect <laughs> practice for me uh, where I bring on help, people that talk about health disparities and the work that they're doing to actually change those. So Malone McQuende, who I mentioned, is actually going to be the first episode um, and talking about his journey as a medical student to creating this, but also wanting to talk to people like Dr. Jenna Lester, who created the first skin of color clinic in the United States at UCLA. And also people uh, like Rachel Bravel, who's my sister, um, but also is uh, is a physician doing work on maternal mortality and started an Instagram. So that's one end of it. The second end is something I'm really excited for. And I always like to pitch this in case someone can help out. But I want to start a docu-series, a TV show um, that lives on a Netflix or an HBO or a Hulu that really dives into the disparities I've talked about in maybe 15 to 20 minute episodes. And it would be centered around a celebrity guest or a patient and really dive into the issues. So people like Serena Williams have talked about maternal mortality and how she, even in her own process, uh, there were so many concerns. And recently, so many uh, prominent Black figures ranging from Chad Bozeman to Virgil Abloh have passed away from uh, cancer, specifically colon cancer, and then also um, cardiac cancers. 
And I think all these conversations are long overdue. Uh, I think it'd be so fascinating to really address these and tackle them um, in a way that can bring people into the conversation in a way that introduces them and gets them to at least know that the issues are out there, similar to what I've done via TikTok. Yeah, well, um, you know, we've spoken for a good half an hour and I feel like we just scratched the surface, but uh, we look forward to listening to your podcast and hopefully your, your upcoming docuseries. Thank you so much, Joel. It's really been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you as well. Thanks.